Well, as we continue on in our study of the book of John this morning, we're happy to have Kyle elucidate us. How's that for, how's that for a word? <laughs> I'd like to pray for Kyle as we begin. Father, thank you for Kyle. Just pray now that as you speak uh, through him, as the word is open, we would just hear what you have to he- say to us today. And uh, we would just be mindful of the power and of the mystery of your word. We just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. As always, I hope you all have had a good week. I hope you all have also had the opportunity to be outdoors as always. I know it's been a little hot, but the mornings and the evenings have made that a little more bearable. And it's, I love this time of year when fall is coming and summer is fading away and you're outside in the evenings and you hear the cicadas going off and It's almost like you can start to hear them making a rhythm while you're out there. You see the deer walking around and the birds flying. And there were some verses that came to my mind I'd like to share with you guys uh, while you're out in nature and you're reflecting and praying. And one is coming from Psalm 19. And this is written by King David. And he states that the heavens declare the glory of God. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 1.20, when speaking about God and creation, he states that, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. And in John 1, 3, the gospel that we're going to be in today, as Dwayne alluded to, you see John, the disciple, state that through him all things were made. Through him all things were made, and all things in creation give him praise. And it's interesting to see the author of a gospel, the Apostle Paul, and the king of a nation all kind of sit in wonder of creation. So if you will, if you haven't already, turn with me to John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3. And we're going to have a little bit of a review as we normally do because, like you, I've slept since the last time we were together. So there's a few things that have kind of slipped through my mind that we need to be re-reminded of. Now, one of them is that, remember as we go through the Gospel of John, that John is constantly pointing us in each direction. He's pointing us backwards and he's pointing us forwards. He takes us back to a prior event, or he refers to chapter 1 oftentimes to continue to build upon those points, or he'll even take us back to the Old Testament, as Dwayne was telling us about last week. Or he'll stop, and he'll pause, and he'll point us forward in the gospel, like he did after the cleansing of the temple when he stated that the disciples remembered this at the time of the resurrection. Or we'll even see some of these these points and these stories be repeated as we go through the New Testament from other authors. Now, remember also in chapter one that God is referred to as the logos, which is kind of a, a divine logic, a, a creating logic, and that through him all things were made and that he is the light that shines in the darkness. He is the life of the light of men. He is the sustainer of the light and he is the creator of the light. And it's that verse, the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. That's going to kind of be a theme as we go through today. We are going to look at Nicodemus, but we're also going to look at John the Baptist. So if you have, please turn to John chapter three. And uh, to kind of to kind of build on that a little bit, you know, when we spoke of the light and the darkness last week, Dwayne talked about Nicodemus and he told us about the things that Christ told Nicodemus in that conversation, the regeneration, the being born from above, the son of man being raised in the same way as the serpent was with Moses. But he also talked to us about John 3.16. 
And so if you're there, I'm going to read John 3:16 through 18. And you can read it with me if you want. But if not, I'll read it aloud. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, when you look at John 3.16, as Christians, we know this because it's kind of our anthem or our banner statement, if you will. Everyone knows John 3.16. But when you look at it contextually, it kind of, it's interesting because this is Christ explaining to someone who is seeking the truth, using this verse to explain to him who he is and what he is. This isn't a blanket statement. This is Christ explaining to a truth seeker who he is and what he's doing. This is an explanation from the Messiah. And so we also talked about the last time that we were together, how we look at Christ as an example for everything and in his character, how we should emulate him. We talked about how when we looked at the cleansing of the temple, you know, we think about copying Christ and his love and his compassion and his forgiveness. But there's also other characteristics that we need to copy as well, such as his righteous anger and the absolute detest he has for sin and anything that separates us from being in a closer relationship with God. And so when you look at the story of Christ and Nicodemus, you can see how we as Christians should witness to those who are seeking Because oftentimes we think that if we start to talk to someone about religion or about Christ, we have to sugarcoat it and we have to pull back because they won't be able to comprehend it or I'm going to lose them if I do. But Christ just immediately starts out by saying, truly, I say to you that except a man be born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. He just immediately starts by telling him. And then Nicodemus has a question and Christ explains more and he has another question and it shouldn't catch us off guard that if we are witnessing to someone, it's going to sound foreign to them because, of course, it is. They don't know the gospel. But being blunt with them and being loving with them and confessing that all are sinners and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And that is why we need a Messiah is the correct way to start out and to start out in love. But as we said, we're in uh, chapter three and we're going to read verses twenty two through chapter 4 verses 2 and John 3:22 After these things Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea and there he was spending time with them and baptizing John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there and people were coming and were being baptized for John had not yet been thrown into prison Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with the Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ. But I have been sent ahead of him. 
He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. Now, as we read through that, we can see that there's a lot going on in there. There's probably four or five sermons worth, if not more, but... The, the things that we're going to kind of focus on today are John's disciples watching Jesus, both John and Jesus baptizing, and John the Baptist kind of giving this final testimony to his disciples, this final teaching, if you will. Now, in verse 26 of chapter 3, you see that John the Baptist's disciples come to him, and they state that all are coming to him, him being Christ, meaning that we are doing this as well, but the majority are going to him. Now, remember, we talked about <clears throat> when we were together, uh, I think it was five or six months ago, that Christ states that he knows all the things that are on man's heart. And we took that statement and we looked at David and Bathsheba and we saw that in that one event, David literally committed all the sins that Christ listed. The heart of man is the same. That is how we can relate when we see these people's stories and how Christ has changed them. And even here, we see jealousy, envy, and maybe even anger on the disciples of a prophet when they are helping grow the kingdom of Christ. And in verse 27, as John the Baptist begins to answer them and address them, he tells them that a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. He's telling them to be happy because we are helping the kingdom. If 500 people come and 50 come to us and 450 go to Christ, then these are the 50 that have been given us from the kingdom of heaven. These are the ones that we are called to minister to. And we must do so joyfully because we often want more. We often want to be seen doing good works. We want to have a higher position. We want to be elevated and be noticed whenever we're witnessing and helping the kingdom grow. But when you look at John the Baptist, and we're going to kind of uh, expand on this later, but you see John was a prophet, and then he goes to this helper, to a man assisting. He continually, as his life goes on, begins to fade more and more out of the picture of the kingdom of Christ. And on verse 28, you see that John is still addressing them and he states to his disciples that you yourselves are my witnesses that I am not the Christ. And this is John, the author of the gospel, referring back to chapter one again in verse 20, where John the Baptist states the same thing. I am not the Christ. And so 
John the Baptist is again reminding his disciples, you saw me say this, so it should not surprise us that more are going to Jesus, because that is what we want. And in verse 29, John the Baptist uses a Jewish wedding ceremony and some of the customs of the time to state that the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly. Now, this is kind of interesting because it's one of those moments where my OCD grabbed hold of this, but we're just going to kind of go shortly through this and get a brief synopsis. But it's important to note here that John refers to himself as the friend and the bridegroom has come and he is the friend. Now, in Jewish wedding customs, we've talked about those some and maybe one day we'll we'll do a sermon and we'll study these together because it's very important to understand them, to understand how John the Baptist and Jesus and others are using them to refer to our relationship with Christ and the intimacy that comes. But during the wedding ceremony, you would have a friend of the groom that would kind of be the, the mediator between the bride and the groom, and he would be the one that communicated and he would help the groom get everything ready. But what's unique is that in Judea, where they're both baptizing, There wasn't one friend that helped the groom. There was two. But in Galilee, where Christ was from, there was only one. So when the Galilean shows to find his bride, there's one friend in Judea helping him. But at the same time, Christ is not baptizing his disciples are. So both customs are still upheld. There are multiple friends, and there's also one for the Galilean. And so as we continue on, though, the pivotal verse that I would like for us to focus on is verse 30. And this is one of the most powerful, convicting statements that I think one can come across as we go through Scripture. And this is John the Baptist teaching his disciples. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, when you look at that statement and you look at it alone, you can see the heart of John the Baptist and simply the way that he is expressing this. Now, psychologists state that most of the time when you face a situation and you're coming up with a solution to it, the first thing out of your mouth is the thing that is most important to you and the way that you address it. And when looking at the kingdom of God, he states that Christ must be increased and I must decrease. Now, he could have said it the other way around. He could have said, I must decrease so that he can increase. But that would be an implication that he would need to get out of the way in order for Christ to continue to grow his kingdom. But when it is the other way around, it is our hope and our love that allows him and hopes for him to increase while humility comes into our heart, not pride of getting out of the way, but humility and service so that we must decrease. And when we when we think about putting the kingdom above self, his increase, but our decrease, there's many examples that we can look at as we go through scripture. Now, we're going to look at Nicodemus, but. Actually, if you will, think about the the verse with the light is in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. Now, when you look at Nicodemus, as Dwayne was teaching us about last week, there is kind of it's one of the points that John, the author of the gospel, is driving at with Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Christ in spiritual darkness and he also comes to Christ in physical darkness. But then as we continue to go through the gospel together this darkness in which Nicodemus sought him in begins to go away. In John chapter 7, you will see that Jesus is, this council is talking about what to do with him. And the Pharisee Nicodemus 
what it states beforehand is the one who came to him in the dark, Nicodemus, kind of uses his position and uses the law to defend Christ and get him out of this situation. And then in chapter 19, as you go and the body is pulled off of the cross and we think about the disciples and Mary and Joseph of Arimathea, but Nicodemus is there. And it states that the one who came to him in the dark, Nicodemus, brought about a 100 pounds of supplies and prepared Christ's body for burial. Each time the author John is wanting us to know this is the one who came to him in the dark and he is no longer in the dark anymore. He is publicly expressing his faith because he has come in contact with Christ and his life has changed. But I think one of the best examples of this in scripture would be the Apostle Paul, because the reason why Paul's change and Paul's decrease for the sake of his increase is so interesting is that Paul kind of records this in his own words. And you'll see this as we go through the New Testament together, or as you do this in your daily readings. So in the conversion of Saul to Paul in Acts chapter 9, you can see that the first description of Paul, he's obviously a a man of power. He's got some special privileges because in Acts 9-2 it states that he has the permission to capture or to hunt down any belonging to the way. And the way is kind of interesting for a side note because that is what Christians were known as initially. The name Christian did not come until a little later, but initially we were followers of the way because Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So those who belonged to the way were the ones that Paul was hunting down. And as you continue to go through the book of Acts, in Acts 23, verse 6, you see Paul refer to himself as a Pharisee descended from Pharisees, but he has hope in the resurrection of the dead. So there's still kind of this this pompous, this arrogance, if you will, the way that Paul is referring to himself, even though he's been converted and he states that he has hope in the resurrection of the dead. But then as we go through the New Testament even farther in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, the Apostle Paul describes himself in this way. I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And as he his relationship with Christ grows and the maturity of that love, he reflects back and he has more of an understanding of how he hindered the kingdom and how much he sinned against Christ. And he is now sorrowful for that, stating that he is not <clears throat> he is the least of the apostle, one who is not fit. And then finally, in First Timothy 1.15, he describes this himself in this way. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all, or depending on your translation, among who I am chief. The more that Paul matured in faith, the less he thought of himself, and the more he continued to pour himself into his brothers around him and into the church to help them grow and to minister to them and to help them learn of Christ and his ways. Now, we do not know the way that all these men necessarily ended. When we try to research the way that Nicodemus's life ended, there's all sorts of accounts. It kind of goes all over the place between him being stoned and beaten and being kicked out of the Pharisees and being kicked out of the Pharisees, but then being a disciple for Christ and spreading the word among the Jews. So Nicodemus we're kind of unsure of. Now, Paul, it is widely accepted through historical accounts that Paul was beheaded and he was beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. And so 
his death could come quick. John the Baptist's end, his end, we know, he was eventually imprisoned and he was beheaded and his head was brought in to the queen or to the king at a party that he was having. And that is the way that the greatest man born of woman, according to the words of Christ, met his end. That is the way that John the Baptist ended. You see, he starts as the prophet, and then he goes to the role of the grower. He sends his disciples. John tells us that the first few disciples of Christ were actually John the Baptist, or one of them is Andrew, which we talked about. So John the Baptist goes from prophet to grower to assisting to eventually fading away. And so this last section, if your Bible titles this section as mine does, it's called John's Final Witness. And when you think about John the Baptist and all the things we've studied of him over the last few weeks, what other way would John the Baptist have a final teaching to his disciples other than a desire for the kingdom of Christ to grow, a desire for his increase and our decrease? Now, if we take this verse and we take the story that we've read today and we think about applying it to our own lives, well, in what ways would this be applicable? Well, initially, we would kind of go with the knee-jerk reaction, well, we need to think less of ourselves and more of him. Well, right, but what does that look like? In what ways does that look like? Because as you continue to mature, that humility that comes into the faith, that humility that comes in from the love that we have with Christ, It appears as though we will either be called to sacrifice something that is important to us or to be open and willing to help the body in any way that we can. So when you look at Nicodemus and you think about sacrificing what's important to us, think about Nicodemus and his title of Pharisee. Because if Nicodemus came to Christ in the dark and then he's standing in a bunch of Pharisees defending him, and then after they were calling for him to be crucified, He is sitting there preparing his body for burial a few days later. It is, I mean, it is very likely that he had to forfeit his title, or he could have. He was definitely at least putting it on the line. And when you look at Paul and his wisdom and all of his training, Paul used that. He could have very easily used it for himself and to make a school of philosophy or rabbinical school. But he used it and sacrificed it for the church to teach his brothers and to lift them up in Scripture, to grow the church and to strengthen it for the sake of Christ's kingdom. And John the Baptist sacrificed his voice. He was the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And eventually he lost his life because of it. So what would you be asked to sacrifice? Maybe... You would be asked to sacrifice your money to help a brother out who was in need or a cause or some type of of an organization for missionaries or something, or maybe time. Those of us who are self-employed, you know that probably the most valuable asset you have is your time. And if you were asked to take a few hours to prepare a testimony or to teach a Sunday school class or even just to stop for 10 or 15 minutes and call a brother or a sister that's been on your heart and just ask how their week went and pray with them for a minute or two, would you be willing to make that sacrifice to decrease for his increase? Or maybe it's an asset. Some of us have trucks. Would you be willing to spend a Saturday to pull a trailer full of water pallets, water bottle pallets to a a 
a place where there was a disaster like a tornado to hand them out just because you had the very thing that was needed to do so? Would you be willing to make the sacrifice? But the glaring reality as we come to refer to on multiple occasions is that for him to increase requires humility on our end. Are you willing to be open? Are you willing to state that you are a sinner in need of a Messiah as all of us are? Because all men have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. None of us are perfect. And I know not to to build myself up or use myself as this whatever example, but after I stood up here and I gave my testimony about the difficulties I had had before my relationship with Christ had grown, I have had men from the community and men from the church come and talk to me and we've prayed together. I even had a a cousin that listened to the podcast call me about her son that was having struggles none of us knew about and asked me to call and talk to him and pray with him. It has been incredible the intimacy with the brotherhood of Christ that being open about the fact that you are a sinner has been able to create. And so I think that's something I would like to encourage us in, not to go and air your laundry out, but to just be open with people, to be open with brothers and sisters. Because when you do that, you could be approached and asked by someone to help them. But where humility comes in, you could be approached by someone that has your same struggle and have them offer to help you. And so I think in in closing here, the final thoughts that I would like to leave with us would be the key to being a strong body or a strong church. The more we individually decrease, the more the body will increase, and the more the community that surrounds us will see his kingdom increasing and hopefully respond in kind. So the question for all of us as individuals are, Do you desire his increase, and are you willing to decrease? Let's pray. Christ, we thank you for the day and for everything you've given us. We pray, Lord, that your kingdom be lifted up, and that you help us to come to you in love and humility, and a desire to see the increase, and that you help us know any way that we can help. May we do so out of the love that we have for you. We pray, Lord, for the community that surrounds us, that they will see your light within us for the love that we have for you, and that we will be able to reach out to them and bear witness of your good works and your salvation. We pray, Lord, for the days ahead that you continue to guide us. We pray that you protect us spiritually, mentally, and physically until we meet again. Amen.